Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to transform the world within you and transform the world around you. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, welcome to Cultural Catalyst. I'm your host, Chris Valentin. This is a place where you learn how to live fully alive, co-labor with God, and change the world. And today I have Carrie Lloyd with me. <laughs> Carrie, you worked for me for about five years. You're a pastor, a life coach, and actually you've written several books. Yes. And today we want to talk about one of the books you wrote called The Noble Renaissance, about nobility. So uh, why don't we just tell us a little bit about you before we talk about the book? Gosh, I'm, I really struggle to know how to describe myself, but um, a few different stages in life. But I, uh, only child, Baptist ministers from England, became an atheist when I was in my early 20s, and then sort of came back to the Lord around about the end of my 20s after sort of slowly eating my ego. And then... Um, eating your ego? Eating my ego. That's that a good line right eaten. there. And then, <laughs> and then I came to Bethel 32, age of 32, and... For a lot of my 20s and 30s working in the film industry and advertising, I was a journalist and I was often talking about people and relationships mainly. And I just didn't want to stereotype my, myself as being the single girl of Christianity. Yeah. And so I started just talking and analyzing how we do what we do, why we do what we do, and then relating it slowly to the gospel again because I was coming back to the Lord. So then I became obsessed with character, probably about the age of 35, 30. A character or the idea of character? The character. The character. How we do character. How we do have character. Yeah. And there's this lovely, David Brooks wrote this lovely book called The Road to Character which made me absolutely fascinated with extraordinary people doing extraordinary things that are just mind-blowing. And we could, might call them heroes, but I just found it like, you're, you're doing exactly what the gospel suggests for us to do, but it's the hardest choice. Being noble is the hardest choice. Okay, we can't go on. We won't go there yet. No, we're going to go there, <laughs> but I, nobility, the word noble, mm. the mm. word nobility, is kind of lost in our culture. Totally. Like I, I, I'll write a blog about nobility, yeah. and then people are like, "What does it, what does the word noble mean?" You know, it's it's uh, kind of the quote out of Brave out right. of Braveheart. You know, when yeah. when uh, when William Wallace you know says to Robert the Bruce, "What what does it mean to be noble?" Right. Oh right? yeah, yeah. And so, what does yeah. it mean to be noble? I really like A. W. Tozer's reference. Come on. <laughs> he said he calls it the excellence of moral beings because I think sometimes people see the word noble and they think it's related to royalty, and they think it's aristocracy. They think it's essentially the nobleman that we read of yeah, in the there Bible. There you go, the Robert the Bruce. What does it mean to be noble? Exactly. And so, actually, I I loved A. W. Tozer's description because that made so much more sense to me of this obsession that I had with the excellence of people's character when people were doing above and beyond what was necessarily expected of them. I feel the presence of the Lord the most when I see someone forgive the unforgivable. I see someone, when I see someone reach out in a moment that we might want to counsel them, I feel the presence of the Lord in those moments. And I would often weep about seven times a day in the office, perhaps behind closed doors, when I was witnessing kindness, even when I was an atheist. So I was definitely kind of moved so much by integrity and humility and the things that keep us persevering, the moments of endurance, these wild stories you would hear about missionaries and what they would do in the name of justice, but always a way of lifting up, never a tearing down. And that, for me, was nobility. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and that's our podcast. That, that was, <laughs> there's the whole podcast. <laughs> what made you decide to write a book about it? I think because I was writing so much about relationships, and I'm like, actually, this is just about character, why we do what we do, how we treat people. This is really just about character. It's nothing to do with 
relationships and stuff or love or romance, we would get heartbroken by potentially how we would treat each other. Um, heartbreak was much easier when we were kind to each other in the journey of departure. And I think I just became so obsessed with the concept of character. And I was asking, most of our conversations as pastors in the office is talking about what's the noble choice, what's the right choice. And so I became obsessed with this concept of nobility. It's not just about good character, it's about great character. What makes you have a noble character? What made the likes of a Martin Luther King kneel on Selma Bridge rather than join the riots and the violence? It's those moments that I got so fascinated and then started to do, probably a few years before I wrote the book, a friend of mine had taken me into Westminster Palace, which is where House of Commons and the House of Lords is. You've been there. You know how wild and beautiful beautiful it is. Did you ever go into this? Is, this sounds like this is never a conversation I've I have with people. I've been and everything. Have you been in the throne room? I have. So you know where you've got. It might have changed now with the with the death of the queen, but you had a picture of the queen, and yeah. you had a picture of Duke of Edinburgh, and then you had those almost like Rubens paintings around the room. I don't yeah. know whether you can remember. Yeah. But on each of those paintings were uh, virtues. So it would be courage, generosity. Those kind of things, about yeah. five different virtues. I don't remember that, though. And I have to start sending you a picture of it. But wow. it was it made me go, oh, there are a, a collection of virtues that make a noble character, which is often related to royalty. But, of course, you can be a royal and completely obliterate your own role and use it for your own ego. The idea, Galatians talks about serving another. And if you're a believer, you are part of royalty. Uh, yeah, you're exactly. You're part of a royal priesthood. And that's what I loved about your Supernatural Ways of Royalty. Mm-hmm. I loved that book because it actually, it was probably the seed that made me go, yeah, what are the virtues of, of royalty? What are the virtues of noble character? And so I kind of, over this, the, then I just became, I, I struggle talking about the subject because I, I don't want to sound like I'm an expert on it because then I have to be noble myself. I'd much rather say I'm a student <laughs> of the topic and you're, I get it wrong all the time. nobility. Yeah, yeah. And so I create this um, fascination for about a year and a half on what are the virtues that create a noble character. And I came out with about seven. And that's you, essentially... Can you name them? I, can, I actually put it on a list because I okay. can't. I always miss one. Oh, you got notes. So I put it on That's a list. so smart. Because <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. Well, it was you. I had to do a good job. Okay. Um, so integrity was one of them. Um, self-sacrifice, wisdom, humility, perseverance, and honor in justice, so compassion. And then uh, the ability to process pain well. Wow. When I finished the book, I got to the end of it, and the Lord said, do you notice anything? And I said, well, uh, well that we finished? And he said, no, it's actually... The virtues I gave you were the antithesis to the seven deadly sins. Wow. So integrity is the opposite of envy. Um, processing pain is the opposite of gluttony. We're often gluttonous when we're wanting to suffocate that pain and push it down. Self-sacrifice is the opposite of greed. Um, wisdom is the opposite of lust. It's wise if we don't go into our lustful ways. It's wise if we work out how to love people well. Humility was the opposite of pride. Perseverance was the opposite of sloth. And then honour and justice was the opposite of wrath. So when we get very wild and wow. angry of justice stuff, so that's kind of that became like that's oh, profound, that makes actually. sense to me. I know. I try. I should put that up on a plaque it's, it's or something. Actually, that's actually profound. Really? Oh, good. How do you think that? I want to talk more about that. Too. Yeah. I would just there's a question that's written for me, and I, it would be a question that that would generate for me too. Mm. How do you think the grace gospel? lends itself to a generation of 
lost nobility or nobility? How do you think grace fits into this? Yeah, well, you see, it's a great question because I think if we look at justice, for example, and the honor in justice, when we feel we have faced an injustice, our natural ability is to teach, to punish, to find vengeance on some level. Yeah. And, and that's why we have the cancel culture at this particular moment in time, that we think that we'll teach people a lesson if we cancel instead of actually look at ways to find unity, of ways to... If we look at how justice was handled by a just man in the Bible, let's talk about Joseph, perfect timing, because we're into Christmas. He was seen as a just man, and um, when Joseph of the uh, New Testament. Joseph and Mary. Yeah, Joseph and Mary. So if we're looking at... um, If we're looking at him as a just man, he was the... You know, Mary being, before he was given his own revelation, the Lord taught to him, he was struggling with the, the injustice of his... Mary being pregnant, right? Before he and he, he and that knew, would have been an execution. He, knew he didn't make her pregnant, right? So he's navigating the injustice of all of that, and of course his options were that he could have stoned her, but he was making a decision that he was going to quietly divorce her. That was his way of navigating his own boundaries, but also making sure that she was still being lifted up, regardless of the actual action. We think that grace, I think, in this generation, is a case of loving everyone and condoning everything. Um, I, I love to love people in all of their walks of life, whatever they're choosing to do. But I don't, I think true love and true grace comes also in the lifting up of other people, even when they've hurt us. So we're seeing an awful lot of backlash with the, with the royal family, the institution at the moment. I, I'm sad by that because the Queen has served the country. I think we've been called, Galatians talks about that we've been called to be in liberty, but we don't use liberty for our own flesh. We use it to love and serve another. And so what, what does real justice look like? It's the lifting up of the other side of the party. That's the hardest thing. And this is, this is why nobility is so hard. For It's a hard choice. We haven't been given necessarily the adversity like perhaps generations have had to do before. If you think about even just People hiring... People think they have, though. They do. And I think that the, if you think about just hiring a film, you just have to click a button these days. But if Blockbuster Video, yeah. <laughs> I use this analogy all the time because <laughs> it seems to be the best one for me. If you had to go, if you wanted to watch a film, you'd have to discuss with everyone what you wanted to watch, drive to Blockbuster, and then you would have to take the third option that you had because the first one had been sold out by everyone on yeah. Saturday night. Then you had to go for the go and take the VHS to the counter, take it home, realise that they hadn't rewound it, the people before hadn't rewound it, so you had to rewind, the, rewind it. And then you would be charged a late fee if you didn't bring it back the next day. And you had to rewind it. So you had a lot of things that in, implicated flexibility, navigation, and the ability to be uh, able to compromise and change things around and to think of others. We're getting less and less of those opportunities just on a day-to-day basis. We don't have Blockbuster Video anymore, anymore because we have everything on demand. And I think our ability... Our, I like adversity. There's a really fascinating book called... I don't know whether you've ever read it, and I'll give you a copy if you haven't got it because it's fascinating. But it talks about um, the coddling of the American mind and why we're setting up the next generation for failure. And it talks about the fact... What's the name of the book? Do you remember? That's the name of oh, it. Oh, that's the that's the, <laughs> the longest title of the word. <laughs> You know the journey of being an author. They were like, well, let's none of just my team was in there when we created that title. <laughs> when we created that title, that's for sure. So it's a really fascinating. It's written by two psychiatrists, and it talks about the importance of adversity, having pushback. Yeah. Um, and us as parents teaching our children how to tell them how to navigate adversity, 
And it's not a case of just cutting out and cancelling out. Lawnmower parenting, helicopter parenting has actually added to this point of like, we just don't want to cause any anxiety to any of our children. And so we'll just make a pathway that's nice and smooth for them. The problem is we're not learning how to navigate perseverance, endurance, the things that actually build us with a better resistible muscle, if that makes sense. So I find it fascinating that I think not just the grace-led movement... I think I understand the concept of that because we were we were bashing yeah. against the legalism of religion. Yeah. But with pendulum swing to go, actually, we still have to make tough choices. This yeah. wasn't supposed to be an easy ride necessarily. Yeah. yeah. But what I found is every time I'm trying to make a noble choice, even though it's harder, there's a there's a liberty to it because I knew that I kept my path clear in the journey and I tried to be kind even when I faced injustice. I tried to honour even if I didn't feel like they deserved to be honourable honoured in that moment. It's important for us to still do that so that we retain unity. Yeah, I if was, that makes sense. Oh, my mind's exploding with things I would preach right now, mm. but I'm interviewing you. Is anyone taking notes? Yeah, because I I think the idea of I think the idea of temptation is important for nobility. I agree. Absolutely. Because temptation doesn't identify me. Right. What I do with that ten- with what I do with temptation identifies me. Right. So th- but but this generation uh, uh, in and out of the church is identifying with their temptation. Yeah. I am a homosexual because I have same-sex attraction. And their identity is attached to those things. Well, they once you say I am, mm-hmm. Right. Then, then, then I, I'm not going to resist right. what I am. Right. What's interesting to me as well right. is even on any of the journeys of what we, whatever we struggle with, we've become attached to that thing. One of the things that I find really fascinating at the moment is the inability to have conversations about difference of, of opinions whilst also being honourable with it, is because we've attached all of our identities. Someone was saying to me the other day, oh, I know I know, this is going to be a tough subject for me to talk to you about the royal family because your identity is attached to it. And I went, no, it's not. I feel very, mm-hmm. I feel very uh, uh, passionate about the royal family because I've really loved how the Queen has served a country for 75 years and has had to die to the crown over and over again in order to keep some sense of peace ambassadorship. And I don't think we're actually looking at what creates peace, what creates unity. We look at the racial injustice of what people are going through at the moment and racial reconciliation is so so important in today's society. But I think what's important is that we recognise we don't, don't start putting a load of different labels onto everyone. We're trying to create rhetoric that seems to appease us rather than going, that stings. How do I navigate not my reaction but my response? Because yeah. we react to everything now. We're not choosing how to respond because we seem to think that the agreement is the thing that keeps us safe. It's not. I, f- I don't need to have the world to be safe around me. I don't have to have the world to agree with me. I actually need to make myself safe by building trust within myself. And the only way I build trust within myself is by honoring a sense of character and nobility, by honoring some of the wisdom that we've been taught by the Lord. And I, and I would say that I would say the pushback is that if I feel it, but I behave a different way, then I'm acting unauthentically. Yeah. It's right? okay to have feelings. It's all right to have those feelings. Yeah, and I don't want to ever show that we're gaslighting those moments, yeah. but we can't stay there. We have to ask what's the wise choice, what's the, what's the choice that will keep everyone enclosed and together. And I've, I've navigated a few years 
in the the last few years I've navigated people sort of cut me out because they've already made an assumption about how I feel about something because I'm a Christian. And it's really interesting that the, those things have already been... Conversations are shut down before I've even been asked a question. Nobility asks a lot of questions. If you think about Daniel and how, how he navigated... I think this story was actually in the Apocrypha. It wasn't actually uh, listed within the Bible. But there is a story of Daniel with the, the chaste woman and that she was accused of um, promiscuity by two elders... And they were suggesting that she needed to be stoned. Daniel takes the two elders aside and asks them questions. Instead of making an assumption, which is what we do with the media these days, instead of making an assumption, he actually does his own research, takes the two elders aside, separates them and asks them questions. In the questions, they come out with different answers. So recognises that there's actually, they've been lying about the girl and he saves her life. For me, I'm fascinated with Daniel because he was always having to face a huge amount of adversity, (laughs) never mind being thrown in fires and lion dens, which thankfully you and I don't have to really navigate these days. Yeah, not not every day. But I think the integrity factor, not every day, some days, maybe a weekend in the the ranch. Um, There's something about the navigation of adversity in the moment and trusting in the Lord. The Exodus fourteen fourteen. you only need to keep silent and the Lord will fight for you. I've always been so thankful to Bethel because they've not needed to defend themselves. They'll allow the Lord to do that necessarily. And if totally. we, and we also, therefore, uh, never beyond reproach. We're always ready for feedback. And I love the discussions that we have as pastors and leaders. I watch all the time having these navigation. What's the, what's the noble choice? What's the integral choice? How do we respond well? Rather than we want to react this way, but how do we respond well? And I've been so grateful for this environment alone that has kicked me in the butt when I needed it, you know. Do you think that men and women carry nobility differently? It's a great question. Um, I'm, I think there are different components and skill sets, <coughs> as we've talked about this with the mother and father role. Yeah. Um, I've often thought that women are fantastic at looking out for the threats because they're sort of building the nest for the family, the men are the ones that have the courage to go and hunt and for it very cave-like I'm talking mm-hmm. about these things. But what I find so beautiful is the um, ability just to, just to acknowledge, I think it changes in every individual and what those skill sets are. I don't know. You probably have thoughts about this. I don't know how I feel about the different genders and what they carry. I think as long as we're hungry for wisdom, the Lord will give us as many answers and options available. And if we can't do them ourselves, he'll bring us people that can. The beauty of that relationship, the man, the woman, to be able to contribute to each other's. Um, and I love, There's, I think there's, I, think, I don't know the Hebrew word for it, but I know that Eve actually came with a, a name. That it, essentially, it means tension, that she wasn't just brought to be a help. Mm-hmm. She was brought to be a tension to yeah. Adam. The sharpening of the iron. Yeah. And I think there's that love. Corresponding. The word is yeah. corresponding, but it means intention or it means opposite of. Right. Okay, mm-hmm. thank you. There we go. This is why I knew we were supposed to have this conversation. Yeah, Genesis so, 2. Yeah. So just listening and even looking at the fall, it's so fascinating to look at the comparison. I think the poetical teaching of the fall was the fact that the comparison of the beast and the human was that the beast was a predator, could go, 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 get, 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 get what they want, respond instinctively to their feelings and whatever they wanted, where we were blessed with the gift of both desiring but also being able to manage those desires. And I think that, for me, the more I look over the fall, the more I look at the Genesis again and again and again, I recognise, my gosh, we were just taught so much about the difference between mankind and the creation of what we have in us compared to the beast of the, of the world, you know. Yeah, I think that 
I think that nobility is emphasized different in men and women. Interesting. And just from your definitions, I was yeah. just thinking through, you know, you know, uh, husbands, fathers promote, protect, and provide. Yes. It doesn't mean women don't. Doesn't mean mom doesn't. No. But no. But it, it, it's it feels like a perversion, like the wrong version when mom is left to do those things. Right. right. I definitely know. Just single fostering. I definitely know. I will try to make up for where a dad may not be around for those kids and recognize I have to bring other people. I'm very grateful yeah. for avuncular relationships and uh, lots of uncles in my life that will come in and do that because I can't do some of that stuff. And there is, I'm very, very grateful for the ability to, and hopefully the humility. When I was younger and I was working in advertising, it was quite a misogynistic environment. You know, I think we felt like we needed to protect ourselves mm. and fight for our voices and... Now I'm like, gosh, actually, I think that was a case of us thinking that we weren't enough as women. Just yeah. for, and we weren't necessarily feeling like we were, we didn't recognize our own giftings, which was the comfort of the educator, the one that comes the in, girl, did you notice that? Yeah. The, yeah, the compassionate one. Yeah. Okay, personal question. Okay. On nobility. Yes. What's the greatest challenge you have? In right your, now. Well, I mean, in your own nobility. You're, oh, you're, good question. You know, uh, oh, that's beautiful, a good question single woman i know i've had a private conversation who would mm. love to be married mm. so you know yeah all of it you know you have a sex drive yeah you have you have dreams and visions you know all yeah. all, all of that yeah and and you have strong feelings what's the greatest challenge you have right now managing your own nobility or maybe maybe managing your nobility is maybe is the right way to put no, it. So please a, feel free to. No, it's a great add. way to put it. I think I think for me, pride is always at the cusp. Okay, talk <laughs> when about I've, that. When I've been, I hurt, wouldn't answer the question that way. Okay, so I for me, I feel so. If we're looking at the virtues of nobility, mm-hmm. the ones I listed, yeah. pride is one of the hardest ones for me because forty-two and single. Let's use that for a moment. I'm not identifying myself as single. I'm just saying that's where Sorry. I am. But I feel like the pride factor can come in when I feel like there might be a narrative or a rhetoric of going, you're not enough if you're single. That can come in. And I want to get defensive. And I have to be very careful not to get like that because that's not what they're saying. They're just saying, oh, I wonder if we've got anyone for you, you know. So I have to be very careful not to let that rise up because behind that is an insecurity saying, I don't feel like I'm enough. So I have to be very careful about that So is it pride or is it insecurity? Uh, I think I think insecurity it, can, can fuel pride. pride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think insecurity can absolutely fuel, fuel mm-hmm. pride. And mm-hmm. I feel that um, the more I'm around beautiful marriages that inspire me, and also people that are, I, I the, and especially a lot of time in the secret place, time with the Lord, he'll go, we're just talking about, let's just talk about your dreams. Let's not talk about what you don't have. Let's talk about what you do have. And it helps me to, and also processing pain, the ability to process pain better than I did 10 years ago. I used to be- The pain of being single? The pain of being single, just the pain of not having the very thing that I wanted for a long time. But also at the same time, wanted to make sure that I was marrying the right person. So it isn't the case of like, I didn't have an option. There are probably four times I could have done. But for whatever those reasons, there are probably four times I could have married. Okay. But there's probably, but out of those four opportunities, I look back and I go, thank you for helping me avoid divorce. (laughs) 
Do you know what I mean? Because they could have easily gone into that space. I, I just, I feel very grateful actually for the way that the Lord has guided me. And I, I've never been, I've never been wanted to be one of those bitter singles that goes, oh, well, you wouldn't know anything because you got married at 15. You know, <laughs> actually, you do have a lot to share with us. And I feel like I used to be like that. I used to get a bit mad when people from the front were talking about marriage or how you should be in relationships when no one knew what it was like to be single in, in their 30s. I've changed that now to go, gosh, I'm so sorry that I was mad. I was just frustrated and I was taking that on. And other people's circumstances and now I feel very grateful that I've been surrounded by really healthy and beautiful marriages that are actually making me make good decisions in dating on top of that and I'll and sorry it's a long answer to your question no, but it's a great answer I do actually feel like <coughs> it's a big deal we've you know 60 percent of our school ministry is women right my guess is that 75 percent of them are unmarried you're right. I did when I was when I was pastoring in second year. We had eight hundred and eighty, I think, in second year at the time. Mm -hmm. One hundred and twenty-five of those twenty. It would have been about one hundred twenty-six. One hundred twenty-five of those students were married. I there think we go. had about seven widows, and then I think the rest of them were single. And I would get a lot of the students coming to me, talking to me about it. How, how on earth do you get through the day? <laughs> you know. And I get it. I understand it. And yeah. there's definitely peak seasons where you really want it. And other times where you want, but I've been so grateful for the Lord, and I, I know this is going to sound trite and like I'll oh, tell us the real story. I, but I do really feel very grateful that I haven't married before this point because I would have married out of perhaps dysfunction, perhaps out of ego. I'd have married, and I feel very grateful even fostering as a single. I've my tastes in men have changed. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, the father figure is actually very attractive to me now, <laughs> rather than the charmer or the the one that schmoozes into a room yeah. and is very good looking. Yeah, you know, that used to be. Yeah, I was high on the romance and the fantasy of romance, mm -hmm. and that didn't help me at all. So I think it's been really helpful actually to have. And I remember the Lord saying to me, "This is going to teach you so much about yourself, Carrie." And then there have been narratives to say, oh, you obviously don't value yourself enough. That's why the good guy hasn't come. I don't believe in that necessarily. I think we attract, we're attracted to what we find familiar rather yeah. than... So when girls say, oh, I'm, 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 I'm attracted to the bad guy, but I don't want the bad guy. It's, it's just the fact that we've probably attracted something that was inconsistent when we were younger. And so that's why we find that attractive on some level, but we don't necessarily want to marry it. So we can get into that cycle as singles uh, if we're not careful. So good. We're coming to an end. This book right here, The Noble Renaissance, you're going to read that, and what is this book about? It's basically reclaiming the lost virtue of nobility. That's a tagline. And it's basically the building of character, how we build noble character. It's not to be perfect. It's purely the excellence of morality. So letting it be a standard of what we'd like to try and achieve. Even when we get it wrong, noble people can actually navigate their forgiveness towards the self and just try again. So it's basically looking at the seven virtues of nobility and what creates a great and beautiful character in us. Um, amazing. I can't and wait for you to write a book on nobility. I, 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 if you I wouldn't don't mind, know if I'll, I'd I'll really appreciate to. that. And this is the legacy letters, the prom the prompted journal for those who inspire us. Yeah, th this is I, I got I did go through this for like twenty minutes. Did you really? Yeah, and it's it's basically blank pages. At the top of each yeah. page is a question. 
Right. When is it best to end a relationship? And it's for you to journal. Yeah. Like, I, I, like I can see how this would come out of your own, like our conversation yeah, right here. Absolutely. Like these are probably questions you were asking yourself. Yeah. Right? I mean, some people have been actually buying it for themselves and giving it to their children. There are questions that I wish I'd asked my father before he died, and they were questions that I was I asked my mother basically five years ago and I learned more about her than knowing her for 42 years and I'd learned that my parents had, my father had been engaged before he was engaged to my mother didn't know that information at all but it came um, out with the yeah journal. and I, I was always she was such a peacemaker my mother I wanted to know what gets her through adversity and what helps to sort of get her through it so I asked some deep questions and so the idea is you buy the book give it to someone that inspires you it can be a spiritual mentor it doesn't have to be a parent it could be a grandparent but we've also been seeing it actually help people have a different perspective of a relative that they didn't necessarily get on with and now they're learning them a different so it's creating unity and I'm hearing some amazing stories about what they're learning about their those that have inspired them and they carry then they give it back to them and then they give they carry the legacy with them hopefully for us how can they buy these books Amazon I They're think on Amazon. Amazon, yeah. Um, Bethel Bookstore, obviously Bethel Bookstore. online. Yes, both. Yeah, Bethel.com. This is on back order, but we are getting more printed. Really? I know. I know. We went to do, we went expecting I, such I, a I demand. I mean, it was given away on on a Sunday. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, I, I didn't realize you guys. A few. You guys have got some clout. You yeah. and Bill have some serious that's clout beautiful. when it comes to yeah. So it's been really lovely. I've loved learning the stories from Legacy Letters, but. Noble, the noble. Someone called it the noble resistance, and I'm like, no, it's the noble renaissance. The it's supposed no, to be a renaissance, a revival of character. And I think if we as a church can work on that, we could change the game. It affects everything. Our character affects everything. It affects fatherlessness and even the fostering journey. Carrie it changes Lloyd, everything. You're quite a woman. So are you, but in a man no, form. No, I'm a man. In a man form. In a man form. Thank you so much for being on the show. (laughs) Thanks for having me. It's going to be inspiring for so many people. Oh, I hope so. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. To stay connected, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter at chrisvalentin.com forward slash subscribe. God bless you.